chapter 6, and certainly appreciate our <clears throat> youth choir uh, singing here tonight. I was listening to, I guess, particularly to Sister Hannah when she was singing here just a few minutes ago, and I was proud of her and moved by it all at the same time. And uh, Nick and, and Lane and, and Lauren and, and Sarah and Kara and Tabitha and Lauren and Keely and Stefan and, uh, and Nate. And uh, <clears throat> good to see you here. And I'm certainly glad to have uh, all you people here tonight, Brother Sanford, Sister Richardson, Brother and Sister Ulrey, uh, Brother and Sister Napier, uh, Sister Tanya, uh, Brother, uh, and I'm assuming Sister Bowie as well, and Sister Diane, Aaron, Sister Mills. Um, Sister Barbara, and there's others, uh, Donnie uh, Redden, and uh, good to see you. And uh, we hope that by this time next week that we are back in, uh, at least if we're not in high gear, we're going to be in second gear or so, moving in the right direction. Uh, but we will let you know a little bit more about that. John chapter 6, and I would like to begin reading in verse 66. And here's what the Bible says. It says, From that time many of his disciples went forth and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts here tonight as we go in uh, to the word of the Lord for this evening. Lord, again, we're thankful for your word, thankful, Lord, for your goodness to our lives. And we know, God, that the Spirit, Lord, is able to minister and to prevail, Lord, in our lives. And I'm asking you, Lord, tonight that somehow that the liberty and the freedom of the Spirit and God, that we would experience that here, Lord, in the next little while, while we look, Lord, at this passage. I'm asking you, Lord, tonight, God, again, Lord, as we've done for the last, Lord, six weeks or so, that your spirit, Lord, would move into our homes. Lord, wherever it is, God, that we are viewing this, I pray, Lord, that the Holy Ghost would minister, God, to every need, that our faith, Lord, would be increased, and, Lord, that it would grow. Meet every need, Lord, that the church has. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. I would like to preach to you on this thought uh, about Peter's confession of the Christ. There are two confessions that you find in the Word of God that uh, Peter expresses about the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ during his time and his tenure as a disciple. The first one is the one that I have just read to you in John chapter 6. And the second one is found a little bit later on in the ministry of the Lord. We find it in Matthew chapter 16, and that is where that uh, Peter makes his second confession. The first one is made in the city of Capernaum, and the second one is made in Caesarea Philippi. And whenever you begin to look at these two particular confessions that the Lord or that Peter makes about the Lord, neither of those confessions really are very long. In fact, uh, they are relatively short concerning the fact that uh, they're, they're really just basic, simple statements of fact uh, about who the Lord is and what he is about. And I, I would say that, that all of us here tonight, that we ought to have that same sort of thing that we can say that, that we have 
a, a statement of faith or, or a doctrinal statement, if you want to call it uh, that in our lives. And both of those confessions that Peter has, the one in John chapter 6 and the one in Matthew chapter 16 that later on throughout the book of Acts you will see and uh, even in the epistles of Peter you will find that those statements that Peter makes that they began to come back to him again. Peter still had a lot of learning to do in his life whenever he made that first statement there in John chapter 6 because he was learning about the Lord and really did not understand the eternal significance about what the purpose of the kingdom of God really was supposed to be about. The last uh, few weeks prior to the uh, pandemic, I had had taken up an endeavor of sorts and began to preach uh, some some messages about uh, the life of Peter. Some of those had just been an outflow of some of my own uh, personal study, but I uh, have preached five messages so far to this point, and Andrew bringing Peter to Jesus was the first one, and then I preached about God, how that whenever he changed the name of Peter, and then we looked at how that Peter was called into the ministry and how that he left his nets whenever the Lord called him. And then we read about Peter being sent into a storm. And then there was another one that I preached called Trust in a Torn Apart World. And so tonight, uh, in this sixth message in the life of Peter, I would like to preach to you about Peter's confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. The background of John chapter 6 finds the Lord teaching to a very large group of disciples there. In fact, that is what John calls them. He calls them. He says that these uh, people that are here hearing the Lord, that they are indeed uh, disciples. And, and it was in that place called Capernaum. Capernaum was a city that was on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was a place where that the Lord would have been very familiar with. In fact, whenever you begin to look at this city called Capernaum, mentioned somewhere around 16 times throughout the Gospels, there are a number of miracles that took place there in that particular city. In Mark chapter 1, the Bible tells us that the Lord cast out a demon that recognized the holiness of God. And then there was another event where that in the end of Mark chapter 1, John Mark writes it and he says that, that Jesus healed various diseases and he cast out demons. And then later on, the Bible tells us that in Matthew chapter 8 that uh, it was there that, that Peter's mother-in-law was healed. And then that famous story that we have all heard, I hope that whenever we hear about those men that climbed up on the rooftop of that house there and allowed the paralytic to be let down through the roof. That also took place there in the city of Capernaum. But in Matthew chapter 8, it is a point where that uh, Jesus finds something and, and, and he finds there's two places in the word of God where the, the scriptures tell us that the Lord marveled at something and it was in Capernaum where that the Lord marveled at the faith of a man that was a centurion who came to him and he expressed a need. He said, Lord, he said, I have a servant and that servant needs to be healed and, and so the Lord began to volunteer that uh, he would go to that man's house and heal that servant there but that centurion said no Lord he said I'm a man that is under authority and he said I would just tell you this that if you will just speak the word then I know that my servant will be healed and Jesus was very uh, much, he was he remarked on the authority and the willingness of that man that took place in the city of Capernaum 
And then in Matthew chapter 8, whenever the Lord leaves the shores of Capernaum and goes out onto the Sea of Galilee to calm uh, that storm there, that was where that that uh, took place. This was a city that saw a lot of the miracles of the Lord there. And, and we read the fact that the Lord later on condemned Capernaum. He told Capernaum, he said, I wanna tell you this, that if the same display of power would have been in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented of their sins. We read about that in Matthew chapter 11 and verses 23 and 24. But it was a part where that the Lord was in a place where that there was literally a place of power and authority that he worked there in that city in Capernaum. The Lord on the day before had performed a miraculous feeding of the multitude before uh, that day, John chapter six in the early part of that and you read about how that the Lord fed that great multitude but now instead the Lord begins to walk through his identity as the bread of life. He begins to teach and begins to talk to them and to tell them but their problem was this is that the crowd was more interested in having their stomachs filled instead of having their spirits transformed. They had no interest at all in spiritual bread. They were interested in maybe a supper, but they had no interest at all in a sermon. They were interested in the flesh being taken care of. They were interested in physical bread that would pass away, and Jesus began to sense those things while that he is teaching them but there's an ominous pattern and I want you to notice here with me in John chapter 6 that begins to unfold in what John wrote look with me there in verse 41 you see the beginning of a very ominous pattern there it says in verse 41 that they murmured in verse 52 the Bible tells us that they strove among themselves or they argued among themselves and then in verse 60 the Bible says that they complained that the teaching was a hard saying and so you notice a pattern here they murmured they argued and then they complained what is the outflow of that kind of spirit and mentality that gets in to the human heart whenever the Lord begins to speak to you well it's answered in verse 66. Notice what the scriptures have to say. It says from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Whenever you look at that, you would think that that uh, almost sounds opposite of most church growth programs that we have in our generations. Look at that. It, it says that, that many of his disciples went back and they walked no more with him. Why was that? It's because the Lord was saying something to them that was very challenging for them to hear and they could not handle the hard sayings. That same thing takes place in our generation today whenever we start preaching sometimes about the matter of salvation and the matter of sanctification or holiness and allowing the Lord to work in our our lives and moving away from the things that are irreverent and moving away from the things that are unholy. I would say to a church here tonight that even despite that, that there ought to be a hunger and a desire in every one of our hearts that we would say, oh Lord, no matter how hard the things that you may say and no matter how challenging the things are that you may speak uh, to to us, there still needs to be a, a sense where our hearts are pliable in the hands of the Lord. And so it, uh, so it was when all of the comfortable followers had moved away from the Lord, the Lord was prompted to ask a question. Look there in verse 67, the Bible says then, said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye go away also? All of that 
is what brought Peter to his response. Look in verse 68. And then Peter answered him. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And, and it is that whenever we look at the response of Peter, we should not be surprised at his response. Seeing a man that was brought to the Lord by his brother and then seeing a man that was willing to walk away from the nets that a comfortable living perhaps could have brought him and yet, he is saying Lord not only am I leaving my nets not only am I allowing you to change my name but Lord if it takes the hard sayings I understand that the hard sayings are very much equated to the words of eternal life and where else Lord shall we go and that is sometimes the mark of salvation I've said it before and you've heard me say it, that the gospel is always confrontational. Yes, the Lord loves sinners and yes, the Lord wants to draw us out of a world and to save us, but the fact remains in this is that the Lord will say things to us that causes us to shrink back uh, in our lives, but whenever you look at the response of Peter, it reveals some things about his life. And I want to point out to you some of the things that I see here in Peter's heart. First of all, I see the devotion that Peter has. While all the other disciples were walking away from the Lord, Peter was determined to follow the Lord. He did not want to follow anybody else. And that elicited his response, to whom shall we go? He had his heart set on following the Lord and that is what we call devotion. He was entirely devoted to following the Lord. He, he was not a perfect man and we'll see that later on in uh, his life. He wasn't concerned about trailing a particular church. He was not interested or fascinated in shadowing some rock star preacher or singer. He was not intent on following some specific method nor was he interested and captivated by some new philosophy of life. Here it was in Peter's life that he looked at the Lord and he said, Lord, I'm gonna tell you to whom shall we go? He wanted to follow the Lord and when the Lord gets us to a particular place in life, whenever we are willing to say, Lord, to whom shall we go. We realize that there's nothing in this world that holds a depth or a stop or anything of power and strength and we have to say Lord I have determined this from my life that there is no real outlet spiritually or physically or mentally or materially that I can go to. I can only go to you but here is how we get to that place Sometimes it's as the psalmist said that we sometimes have to be at our wits end. I, that is indeed true, Sister Tanya and Sister Mary Richardson and Brother Paul Miller. That is what the Lord brings us to at a place at times whenever we begin to say, Lord, I'm at my wits end. I've gone as far as I can go in my own strength and in my own power. Where else am I going to go? It's in those moments that we begin to understand that true power and spiritual strength comes to our lives. Peter's devotion to the Lord was tested by the unpopularity of that message. It's easy to follow the Lord when you're part of something that is big and you're part of something that is attractive. It is great sometimes whenever you feel like that you're part of a big event and of a great conference, a large church, a large personality and when everybody is cheering you along. But what happens to my devotion 
devotion and what happens to your devotion whenever you have to go by yourself alone. I would say again here, amen, brother Nathan, amen, sister Rita. I know there's some of you that's watching on YouTube. I can't see who you are. I can only see what's going on on the Facebook live stream, but hear me tonight that there's times where that the integrity of our devotion, it's gonna be tested whenever we see the crowd of disciples that follow only because of the comfort whenever they disappear, that you begin to say, I'm still going to follow the Lord. I dare say that all of you here tonight have probably had family members that were in the church and they have walked away and then there's friends that have walked away and people that you felt a closeness to. They have walked away from the cross and they walked away from the Lord Jesus Christ and, and you somehow feel like that you're all alone. Peter was there 2,000 years ago. He was at that place where he started looking around at the crowd that on the day before had so much enjoyed the miraculous and they were gone and now Peter's looking around because the miracles have stopped and, and it's almost like the faucet of God's blessings have stopped. It's in those moments that the Lord begins to find his truest disciples. There's a subtle clue that we find in the text there that helps us to see what is at the root of Peter's devotion. Look with me there to verse 68 of John 6. Here is what the Bible says. It said, then Peter answering him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. The clue is in the very first word that the Lord or that Peter spoke there when he said it to Jesus. He said these words, Lord, and if we are really going to begin confess that Jesus is indeed the Christ, we're gonna have to call him Lord. Lord. We can't lean on him as friend, although he may be that. We can't lean on him as teacher, although he will be that. We can't lean on him as leader or helper, and he will be those particular things, but ultimately before you ever really make any headway in your relationship with the Lord, it's gonna have to be a part where that you call him Lord. Here is another matter that we have to understand whenever we are seeing this thing that true devotion always bows first to what I call the lordship of Jesus Christ. The word that is most often translated Lord in the English New Testament is the Greek word kurios. It speaks of someone that uh, it has power. They have ownership. They have an unquestionable right for this him to be able to command. But there's another term that is nearly synonymous with that. It's not used as, as much, but it is used on occasion, and that word is despotes, which we get our English word despot, which is a ruler that has absolute power and mastery over his subjects. It can also mean master, and so that would imply to all of us here tonight that if you're gonna call the Lord, if you're gonna call Jesus Christ Lord, then it's gonna place you in the lowly position of being a slave, and that's what Peter was telling the Lord whenever he called him Lord. It's a revolting concept sometimes for us to even begin to contemplate, but the fact is is that if we're gonna serve the Lord, there's gonna be an absolute self-denial. There's gonna be a total surrender that we have to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And therein is the problem. <coughs> with the feel-good gospel. The Lord has, you've heard it before, the Lord has a wonderful plan for your life. The, the, the God will fulfill your wildest dreams. You're gonna be able to be all that you can be. But what if, church, the Lord puts you in a place like Paul told Titus to go to down in Crete? He told Paul, or told Titus, he said, Titus, he said, I want you 
you to go to Crete and I want you to go down there and there are some things that you need to set in order. There, there's a bunch of slow bellies and there's a bunch of liars that are there at that particular place and Titus is not going to a place where that there's going to be a lot of church growth and there's going to be a lot of excitement but he's dropping him in to a place where that if you want to call it this, it would be a grind. That's the problem sometimes with the feel good gospel because if we call him Lord it very well may be that your dreams do not come true and that things don't work out the way that you anticipate them but hear me out the Lord marches every one of us in a direction and if we are true disciples hear me out the Lord is working more for our eternal weight of glory than he is for the temporal things to take place in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 17 and 18. Amen. Sister Regina Miller. Amen. Sister uh, Annette McCoy. Amen. Sister Rhonda and Brother Paul. The Lord is with us. Amen. Brother David Goodwin. What if the Lord sends you in a place where that there's not going to be a lot of fruit that is born out of a calling? What if the Lord is going to put us in a place where that we're faced by the challenges of life. What was Peter saying? Peter was saying, I cannot turn away from this because I want you to know and to understand, Lord, that you have the words of eternal life. I know that there are burdens that saints of God are walking under. I know that there are pastors and ministers that you are having to deal with challenges in your life. It didn't turn out the way you expected it to. It didn't happen the way it happened for somebody else and now you're at a place where then the crowd has walked away but hear me out. If you can get to a place where you pray and you fall down on your knees and you begin to call out and Lord, oh Lord, I am your disciple. Oh Lord, I'm your servant. Then hear me out. I'm gonna tell you this, that you must know that you are in the will and the purpose of God when there is a confession that will pour out of your mouth that you will say, Lord, I know that you have the words of eternal life. And there, is something that I would like to point out to you here tonight that whenever you look to the New Testament whenever you start looking at the fundamental aspects of slavery that somehow points to even to our redemption you start finding key words here throughout the Bible chosen in Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5 and 1 Peter 1 and 1 Peter 2 and 9 and Paul writes it like this he said you've been bought in 1 Corinthians 6 and 20 we have been owned by our master Romans 14 verses 7 through 9 in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 we're subject to the master's will and control Acts 5 and 29 and Romans 6 16 through 19 and Philippians 2 5 through 8 we're totally dependent on the master for everything in our lives 2 Corinthians 9 and 8 and Philippians 4 and 19 but hear me out that one of the most secure places that you can live your life is when you are at a place that the rest of the disciples the large crowd is gone and now you're only surrounded by a few brothers and the Lord that's what we talk about, about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Are we willing to submit our will to him? Are we willing to somehow do the will of God and to be in a place? And I, I know this. I know that there are missionaries that are scattered around the world. And there's some of them that, that are in very hard and very challenging places. And I have no doubt that there's probably been times in their minds where that they have questioned, am I in the will of God? Because I am not experiencing the seeming harvest that other places in 
global missions are experiencing. I know that there's pastors here in the Alabama district that you're pastoring in a place where that, that it is challenging and it's struggling and there's times where that we look off with somehow a distant eye and wonder how it would be in a different place at a different time on a different location to think, man, I would love to be in a place where that the Lord is using me, but just as Timothy was in Ephesus and Titus was in Crete and Epaphras was in Colossae, the Lord as men and women scattered all over the world and if we would just call him Lord and leave the results to him, it's in those moments that our devotion begins to grow. But there are those that you run into that they say that they're devoted to the Christ but they live in disobedience and their ways betray they're taught by how they walk but I would point out to you something else here tonight in this particular text Peter's confession showed his devotion but it also showed something else to us here it tells us what he saw the Lord as and that was how his view of God affected his doctrine and how we look at the master will have a great impact on our doctrine as well. Some of the greatest truths in the apostolic church is found here. Jesus is God. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. Look with me there to verse 69. John writes it like this, and this is what Peter said, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Whenever Peter announced that Jesus was the Son of the living God. Do you realize what he was doing? He was impacting and he was saying, I'm gonna tell you something, that I see this, that the living son of God, that he literally is God, that is robed in flesh, that was not very well accepted in their day and in their time by the religious leaders. In fact, they rejected it. Some of the things that the Lord said about his own identity, they said that it was black but none of their objections changed the fact that Jesus was God in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and without controversy great is the mystery of godliness God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit seen of angels preached unto the Gentiles believed on in the world and received up into glory Isaiah chapter 16 7 and verse 14 therefore the Lord himself shall also give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23 behold a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is being interpreted God with us. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty God the everlasting father the prince of peace John chapter 1 and verse 14 and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the the Father, full of grace and of truth. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have 
have preeminence. And then in John chapter 14, and beginning in verse eight, the Bible says, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. And so whenever Peter was done, Peter looked at him and he said, you are the son of the living God. Jesus Christ was God that walked about this earth doing good as the book of Acts says. And then Peter also pronounced him in his confession as the Messiah. Look there in verse 69. It says, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Thou art that Christ. What was he saying? He was saying, we know about the office of the Messiah. Christ means the anointed one and Peter really believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. There's somewhere around 300 prophecies that you find in the Old Testament that speaks of the, of the Lord coming as Messiah. Peter was familiar with those and now early on in the ministry of the Lord, he looks at him and he sees him and says, you are the Christ and we know that thou art the Christ. Peter, like so many others of those in that day that they never envisioned a cross, they could not comprehend that all that they could really get into their minds and into their hearts was that their Messiah was going to wear a crown and yet Jesus came and, and the Bible tells us that he died and not many of them recognized in that day Jesus as the Messiah but Peter did. Peter recognized him at that moment. The scriptures were plain that he was coming and Peter comes along and confesses the Lord is God and then he confesses him as the Messiah but there's one other thing that he does he confesses him as the Savior look at what he says in verse 68 then Peter answered unto him Lord to whom shall we go now as the words of eternal life Lord to whom are we going to go you have the words of eternal life over the years there have been people that have walked through this church and they have been converted to by the glorious gospel of the apostolic truth and they have continued to serve the Lord. Some of them we have buried because they were devoted to the Lord for their entire lives. There are others of us that we are following along now and Peter was convinced that the Lord, the Savior, had power to give eternal life. He is the only Savior that mankind can have. I know that sounds exclusive in this generation and some would say it's narrow-minded. Some would say it's bigoted, but listen to me. Jesus said that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. In the book of Romans, Paul asked a question, would somebody die for a good man? And he answers the question. He said, somebody might die for a good man. He said, but here's what you have to understand, that God commended his love toward us in that yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans chapter five. In verse eight, that is what Peter understood there, that there is nobody else that can secure my salvation and there's nobody else that can secure your, your salvation as well. And so it was that Peter got that in to his heart and into his spirit. And shortly after Pentecost, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter four and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other for there 
there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. When you went down under that water in the glorious name of the Lord Jesus Christ and then he filled you with his glorious spirit, it's at that part that you understand that salvation takes place by the name of the Lord. There's a lot of things we can get along with in life by being ignorant of, but we cannot afford to be ignorant of the great truths about the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that? It's because if we are ignorant about the identity of the Lord or ignorant of matters of spiritual depth and spiritual direction, it's going to send us to an eternal hell. And there's too many in our day that have learned so much about a lot of things that do not matter, but they do not know anything about the little things that really are the most important things in life and in eternity. But there's something else that I notice here. And that's in verse 69. Here's what he says. He says, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here's what happens. True faith is always accompanied by a great sense of certainty. If you have a sense of who God is, then there is a great sense of certainty there in your life. Unbelief is never sure of anything. In fact, unbelief has certainty. Certainty, or it lacks certainty. It underscores doubt. Doubt, it loves uncertainty. And what it does is it manipulates men and women to live their lives in a way so that their minds are filled with questions, which is the same trick that the enemy has been using for thousands of years. It started back in Genesis chapter three. Hear me out here tonight, church, that there are things in your life and in your heart that I'm pleading with you that you've got to understand who the identity is of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uncertainty is well and alive in our day. People are not clear about the inerrancy of scripture. They're unsure about the way to heaven. They're unsure about the plan of God. They're unsure about their need for prayer, about their need for a church but Peter didn't know any of that. There was a certainty that Peter had in his life and we've got to be absolutely certain about the spiritual matters of our life and Peter says it like this. He said, I'm gonna tell you something. He said, we know that thou art the Christ. There is something about it that it's insulting to God for us to be ambivalent about what we believe and not sure about what we believe. We believe and we are sure. There's a pattern that I notice here. First of all, it's faith and then it's assurance. Look at that. He said, we believe. That's the faith part, but it comes before thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. That's the knowledge part. Here's what we look at, Peter's life. He had great faith in his life and because he had great faith, there was a clarity about who the Lord Jesus Christ was and about his identity. Be careful of people that want to talk you out of your dogmatic thoughts. Be careful of people that sometimes would try to cause and say you're narrow-minded. You're, 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 you need to let go. You need to somehow allow more room. But there was a small group that stayed behind on that day and Peter was one of the ones that was in that small group. And we have to realize what Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 7, that there's coming a day, and he tells us, he said, many in that day are going to say, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these wonderful things? And the Lord is going to look, and he's going to say, look, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. In that same passage, the Lord, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said that the way is narrow, and few there be that find that way. It is impassable. 
imperative for us tonight whether you are a believer and have been filled with the Spirit or somebody that just somehow just happened to drive by and just happened to find this live stream. It's imperative for you tonight for you to find out what is your place and where is your position in God. And so it is that we come to the last part. It's found in verse 68. Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. The word, maybe I emphasize it too much here in our local church, but I'm gonna tell you what, there's times where I feel like I don't emphasize it enough that you have to realize that after all of our stories and all of our personal experiences and all of the things that sometimes that we call preaching and and testimony and even our personal experience, here is what I have to tell you. We've got to get to that word because the word of God is unchanging. It is a sure foundation that we have here in our lives. One of the distinctive characteristics of a true disciple is that they will be affected by the word and Peter saw the miracles but here's what he confessed. He said, Lord, he said you have the words of eternal life and a true disciple is going to have a great love for the word of God. They're going to regularly and earnestly pursue the scriptures there. There will be a great desire to hear it preached. There will be a great desire to hear it taught correctly. It will have a prominent place here in our lives. And now with an empty building except for four people that are here with me, five people that are here, six people that are here with me tonight, in this sanctuary, let me broach a subject so that everybody will feel safe. But I have to tell you this, as a pastor, it troubles me. It severely troubles me sometimes when I look at our local church and watch what takes place. That There's times where there's a mass exodus whenever the preaching starts to take place, whether it's on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. And there are some people sad to say in this church that they're not in here on a Sunday morning. They're not in here on a Wednesday night. And then on Sunday nights, they exit out and they're gone. I would just tell you here tonight, then the fact is this, is that shows me exactly what your appetite for the word of God is. And there ought to be something about every one of us that we don't crave the spectacular. We don't crave the miraculous, but we crave the word of God but we live in a day that loves sensational things and I had somebody to send me a video here the other day about some person that had this experience and they had supposedly gone on a 40 day fast and at the end of that 40 day fast the word of the Lord had come to them that they needed to gather up bottled water and gather up a bunch of toilet paper I'd love to have a full building to be preaching this here tonight too. I'm going to tell you my thoughts on that. That If I fasted for 40 days and the only thing the Lord told me at the end of that 40 days was me to get some bottled water and some toilet paper, I'd be very highly disappointed and yet there's something about it that we are living in a generation now where that we have such a superficial relationship with the word of God that we pursue and we chase after all of that nonsense and all of the things that really don't matter and we say hey we want a prophet to come along and say something hear me out you need to do like Peter and I need to do like Peter and say thou hast the words of eternal life and I want to crave the word of the Lord. I want to hear where Brother Patterson is preaching it. I want to hear where Brother Harrelson is preaching it. Or I want to hear whether one of our lay ministers is preaching it. That there is something about it that we have to have the word of the Lord because heaven and earth is going to pass away. There's even going to come a time when Peter Paul said that the gifts of the Spirit are going to be done with but the word of the Lord is going to last forever. And here is what we say is that the Holy Ghost and its word has to get a hold of every one of our hearts. 
And I want this church to be a word-focused church. I want it to be a word-driven church. I want you to have a relationship with your scriptures. I would say to you here tonight, amen, Sister Tanya, amen, Brother David, amen, Melanie Deacon, Sister Regina, Brother Paul, Sister Sam, Brother David, Sister Nikki, Sister Regina, my wife, Sister Mary Richardson, Brother Paul Miller, I want to pastor a church that is hungry for the word of God because when you're on your deathbed, my cool illustrations and my neat little stories, they're not going to mean anything, but I can remember when Sister Paramore was on her deathbed that in that last few hours of her life, she was quoting 1 Corinthians 15, that's the way we need to be exiting out of this world is the word of the Lord needs to be so entrenched in our hearts and in our spirits that we cannot get away from it. Oh, Jesus. I don't know how long I've been preaching, but I think it's been a long time. How long, Matt? 50 minutes? I'm, I'm almost done. All through the epistles of Peter, here's what we see. We see the great revelation that he finds there, but there seems to be a prevailing theme throughout his writings. And I just want to bring a few from the first epistle that he wrote in 1 Peter 1 and 2, sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse, chapter 1, verse 9, the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 118, not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. 1 and 11, the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. For chapter 3 and verse 14, if you suffer for righteousness sake. 3 and 18, Christ also hath once suffered for our sins. 1 Peter 4 and 1, for as much then as Christ had suffered for us in the flesh. 1 Peter 4 and 13, but rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. What was Peter's focus on? He confessed him as Lord. He confessed him as Savior. He confessed him as Messiah. And so it was that whenever Peter's writing those epistles to a persecuted church, what was his focus on? His focus was on the cross. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. <coughs> oh, precious is the flow. And that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that was the confession of Peter. Peter looked around at all those disciples that had left. And whenever the Lord looked at those few remaining of the twelve, he looked at them and he said, he said, men, he said, are, are you going to go away also? And little Peter looks at him, Lord. To whom else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. I'd like to pray for you here tonight, who oh, our great God and Savior. Lord, you have done so much for every one of us. Forgive me, Lord, whenever God in weakness and moments of, our, of my flesh that I forget, Lord, the price, God, that you paid for my salvation. Help me, Lord, at those points to be convicted by your spirit and convicted by your word. And help me, Lord, as Peter did, that whenever I look around at maybe departing disciples and those, Lord, that are walking away from the cross, that are walking away, Lord, from the message, from the glorious call of salvation. Help me, Lord, to be one of the ones that remains. Help me, Lord, to be one of the ones that is well aware of your glory and your grace and your truth, Lord, in our lives. I'm asking you, Lord, tonight, God, I know that there are people in our congregation that, Lord, that are under tremendous burdens and challenges, Lord, in their lives. And I'm praying, Lord, tonight for them especially.
Lord, that you would visit them and you would touch them and you would help them. And that even, Lord, right now in their living rooms, wherever they may be, Lord, watching, Lord, this message, that your presence, God, would be felt and that, Lord, that they would confess you just as Peter did, that we confess you as the living God that came in flesh, that we confess you, Lord, as our Savior, as our Messiah, and, Lord, as our Redeemer and as our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.